Good afternoon and welcome to Air Brooklyn. Today we're having a discussion with Chris Chambers of the Chamber Group. We're going to be hearing from him about public relations and some of the more interesting folks that he's worked with during a long and illustrious career, mostly in New York City, but also in Los Angeles and Atlanta, doing hip-hop, R&B, music business, as well as other sorts of entertainment, sports, fashion, and other publicity well beyond that. Uh, we've got a couple of our neighbors here in downtown Brooklyn as well in the studio. And so, uh, Chris, it would be great if you could start off just by talking about uh, what you do. I do public relations, construct the media campaigns for um, my clients. And my clients range everything from entertainment to fashion, sports, um, brands as well. And how I got started was um, I was a journalism major at NYU and we had to do, we, there was a PR workshop that was part of the program, took the workshop loved it um, and then from there I my first internship was with a PR firm a small PR firm boutique firm that happened to work with all the record labels in the city well automatically assume that I was like this entertainment music kid whatever but I was really into journalism in New York, you know, especially that field, it's so competitive to get an internship at like the local news stations and the papers and the magazines. It's like really competitive. This great internship came up in PR and I was just like, you know, what the hell, I'll try it, whatever. And I was lucky because the firm was so small that their internship programs, they really wanted us to learn. I just soaked it all in. They really exposed us to the basics of PR. So I did that for a semester and then they asked if I could come back another semester and I did and then they offered me a job and I was like well I can't take the job because I'm a junior going into my senior year and my parents were not going to have that. And when I was graduating they called me and said they had a job for me so I said okay great I don't have to look for a job and I have loans to pay back to NYU. So that's how it kind of started. So I went totally left of journalism kind of sort of and started this career in PR. It was an entry-level position as an assistant to one of the vice presidents of the company. Like within six months, I was kind of doing more than clerical stuff. They were, you know, had me assisting in PR, little PR duties at the time to my boss. And then it kind of grew from there. And then I, I left the company maybe after a year and a half. No more, I don't think I was there like no more than two years maybe. From there, I went in-house to Def Jam Records. So, before you went to Russell Simmons and Def Jam, who had you been working with at the boutique? Pulche, Public Enemy. I was at Def Jam for just a, a second, and then I left and went to Polygram Records, where I worked with, like, Brian McKnight and Vanessa Williams. I'm like a mid-level executive. Small boutique label, small PR boutique firm to a major company. I had a boss that walked by in the morning, not speak, and if she wanted to meet with me, she would send right on her stationery a note to her assistant to give to my assistant 
to tell yeah it was horrible I mean I went to therapy over this woman oh and then and then I had to leave because the therapist was like it's not you she has a problem you involved in your field very quickly I yeah well I was yeah I was lucky because the internship like I tell kids today turned into a job yeah you know there was no real gap for me That's like right. I graduated in May and I was working full-time by June so after that I went to EMI records mm -hmm. And I worked with Prince, D'Angelo, wow. all of that. Oh yeah, he's a great career, Chris. And and so I went to EMI as a director of PR now, and that was really, it was an amazing experience because it was just more like global, and I was kind of running my little area a little bit. It seems like then you got some really great experience running a team, being an executive, but then you were ready to move on to the next thing, right? And then I was very happy there until I had a call from Jimmy Iovine to come to Interscope Records. Dre and Snoop and stuff? All of that. Yeah. I was like, all of that. I mean, it was, I came in on the tail end of it, so I was more like, like No right. Doubt, The Wallflowers, Eminem, Black Eyed Peas, I did all of that. I launched all of all of their careers. You guys didn't know like who Eminem was. Yeah. I was the first publicist. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Launching him, Black Eyed Peas. That was a great era. And so I was based in New York. Interscope is a West Coast based company, the home office. And so I was going back and forth a lot to LA during that time. But it was really, really an amazing experience because Jimmy Iovine is like. One of the, you know, he's like one of the major players in music. And so I learned a lot because I worked very closely with him. And um, you get, you get to, when you, you got to meet all these people, obviously, right? Yeah, I've worked. Yeah, no, I've worked. Obviously, if you're kicking off their careers, you're exactly. going to get to know them. Yep. That's, yep. that's exciting. I mean, it was, no, it was really a, a, an amazing time because. It was more when I realized that, like, really understood, like, artists and, you know, the music that they put out and that this is their art. And because Interscope was very artist-friendly, so very much about creative and, and cool and just, you know, that... That kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was, like, the last of that era before you know, before the internet and everything came in and then the whole industry changed. Tell us more about what the environment was like at Interscope with the security and the chaos. I had to get used to like going into a office building and like every door had like codes on it. And the assistants had to buzz you in because they were all, they were bomb threats. Should Knight, this gangster in music, a successful label with Interscope, but when the relationship got strained, it also started getting a little violent. Walk into an office building and let's say I'm going to Jimmy's office for a meeting, the assistant, like there's a camera outside his, you know, he has a suite. Right. So right. it's like, the door is locked, there's a camera, so the assistant sees you and they're buzzing you in, you know? And then there's another door after the, the two assistants or three assistants to his office. Yeah, it, it was really, really, that was a very interesting time. Especially for me, because again, I was, you know, I'm from New York. I don't really, at the time, I didn't know much about that whole West Coast thing. Right, and, right, right. You know, but 
you know, it, it, when I look back at it now, I'm like, oh, that was silly. Were you sort of like their ambassador in a way in the PR world on the East Coast? Like they needed people in New York. Yes. Well, we had, yeah, in, in New York, the office was smaller, but there was PR, which at the time I was the most senior. So in terms of PR, I mean, you were creating the packages around sort of getting press coverage. Yep. I mean, how much... I was booking like all print, all all TV, all of that. At Interscope, my boss was an amazing human being. You know, like just so nurturing and so supportive, opposite of what I was used to. So that made it really a good experience and I learned a lot from her. Um, Cause she launched, I mean, she's the one that launched people like, um, Dr. Dre, um, Marilyn Manson, he was also very nurturing and I also learned a lot about the artist and music, like he always used to say, you know, like in PR, you know, it's, it's a hard job because you're like a salesperson trying to pitch, you know, stories and and make someone seem hot enough to be on the cover of a magazine. And so he would always say, well, don't worry about who says no, because we create stars. You, you know we put out quality, so they'll come back to you. You know, he, unlike those bosses that would be like, no, you have to get The Tonight Show. Like, he's like, no, they'll come back, because we always put out hits. And it's true. Like, Literally, they would say no today, and by two weeks later, it's like begging us for this person. You know, so it's hottest record label. He created. I mean, he was a music genius. So, Chris, could you just tell us a little bit about that moment in your career when you felt like things were really reaching their apex? What was it like to feel like you were fulfilling all of your dreams, and the times were super exciting? The artists you were working with. It wasn't until I got a call again um, from L.A. Reid. I was in L.A. Who is L.A. Reid? L.A. Reid is a big producer, but he he is the person that, you know... With P. Diddy? With P. Diddy? No. No, well, no, that was Clyde Davis. Okay. That gave, well, yeah, L.A. is the one that, cre- that founded, like, Tony Braxton... TLC, Usher. Wow. Okay, I mean, and, and a huge producer like Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, a bunch of people. And then, so he had this big label out of Atlanta called um, The Face Records. And that's where like TLC was part of. I, and Usher and Outkast and all these, all this great, there was a movement coming out of Atlanta. But anyway, LA, LaFace was part of Arista Records, which is what Clive Davis ran. So the larger corporate parent organization was built out of BMG, later became Sony BMG. Tell me more. Apparently, L.A. Reid and his partner Babyface, who you guys have heard of, they sold half the company or maybe the rest of the shares to BMG, which owned all of it, like Arista, LaFace, whatever. So when that happened, apparently the German company, BMG, thought that Clive Davis was getting a little up there in his years. And something weird happened where somehow they were able to remove Clive Mm -hmm. and 
bring in LA as now the head of Arista and everything. So that was kind of, that was a big deal in music at the time. But anyway, so I'm at Interscope doing, you know, having a hot moment. And so LA, I'm in it, I'm in Los Angeles. I get a call, oh, LA wants to meet with you, you know, and join his team and blah, blah, blah. And it was a weird moment because my contract at Interscope was up and I had no intentions of leaving. They were about to, I guess, be in the process of renegotiating my deal and whatnot. So LA called, he's like, I want to meet with you. I'm like, well, I'm on my way back to New York. They're like, forget that. We're sending a plane for you. You're gonna, we're bringing you to Atlanta, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. They send this plane, I go to Atlanta, driver picks me up, brings me to his fabulous house in Atlanta. Butler opens the door. Oh, Mr. Reed is expecting you. He's in the music room. So they leave, he leads me to the music room. And, and then I knew LA in passing, I'm not that well, but I knew what he liked, which he's, he's very much into like fashion and a bit and visuals and likes everyone around him like really attractive. So I had like a really nice like suit on and everything. So I walked in, he's like, Chris, you know, you, I mean, you're a star. I want you part of my team, well, blah, awesome. blah, blah. And I was really flattered. So after the meeting, they send me back on the plane to New York now. By the time I got home, my lawyer was like, Chris, they literally have made an offer. They want you immediately. I was like, but I really don't know if I want to leave. I'm happy. Anyway. You had to move to Atlanta to do that? No. Oh, no. And then, because he was, no, he was already at Arista, but he w- he had the home still, he didn't sell his home yet. Okay. So he was just happened to be there, and that's where we met. But he, by then, he was in New York. Okay. Um, so, Interscope, the lawyer was taking so long to lock down my contract right, right. that at the time, LA, they came with such an amazing offer that I kind of was just like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving. When Jimmy found out, it was a huge deal and they were, you know, trying to get me to stay, but it was so far gone with Arista that I kind of, I couldn't back out. I left, started at Arista, which was a different culture because Jimmy Iveen and Interscope was rock and roll and just like jeans and blah, 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 and just more like loose. LA is more like, kind of like this. In terms of he's finer things, likes, you know, everything to be really pristine and just a different culture. His office sent a letter to the staff that we're not bad boy, we're not Def Jam, we're Arista, we're an elite label and the assistants are to look a certain way. Like wow. Yeah. He was very much into like dress code. Uh, yeah, and just looking professional chic. And so, so it was totally different than what I was used to. And, um, but I've had a, an amazing time working for him. Because like Arister, I worked with Whitney, TLC, wow. Usher, Outkast. Because I came into the picture when they were like the cool... Aquemini? Yes. Well, right at the end of Aquemini, popular rap group from Atlanta and they were popular because not only was the sound really cool and unique and 
an alternative. It was totally different from what was happening in 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 hip hop at the time. And then the style was totally different. Their style was so cool because you know they were more costumey okay. and vintage and mm-hmm. a mixture of a bunch of things. But anyway, they were not just they were not into bling for the sake of bling. no, that was they, completely. And they weren't gangster. They were just like artists. They were artists. artists. Yeah. They were you know what it was? It was like a mixture of like Jimi Hendrix, Prince, and like just a bunch of mixtures that just worked. But anyway, so when I came into the picture with them, they were this popular rap group. But then. It went from like rap to like an explosion. I came in, they made this amazing album, Stankonia, and then me being the publicist, they skyrocketed. Like the LA Times called them the U2 of today. Wow. Yeah, it was like a huge career moment for me. People who are popular, not popular, but successful as, as PR people have to be pushy not in dealing with their co-workers, but in getting what they want for their clients, and that's not your personality. Relationships with the editors, with the writers, with the photographers, with just the folks that can help you shape the profile of these people in the public. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what, it's not necessarily you have to be pushy. It's more hopefully being so respected and also nice that your relationships are there all the time so they know what you're pitching so it makes sense for that media outlet. People think it's a common trait for publicists to be nasty and pushy and aggressive. But it's really you don't or you don't have to be that okay. way at all. It's I find it's usually the opposite where you get more out of folks. Mm-hmm. by just being professional. Okay. But I find that there's a difference because I, I think that publicists in the movie industry tend to be that. Okay. Tend to be nasty. They're always like, no, 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 no. There's never yeses. So take us back to what happened at Arista. Where, where did that take us? Fired L.A. Reid and brought back Clive Davis. Wow. And then when they did that... I didn't, I never worked with Clive, but again, they knew of my work because of all the, all the acts that I worked at the time were the big money makers. It was Outkast and Usher. And I was very close, like everyone knew that. I was kind of even more than the publicist by then. I helped craft the whole, the whole thing. I was the creative director, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. And so... Cause so you this, spend a lot of time with Usher. Yes. I love Usher. And, and, and so, <laughs> like, favorites. yeah, no, and and it's, it's funny because we developed a really close relationship, and this was, like, all those, like, confessions, the album before that, 8701, mm-hmm. all, and those were big albums. So when Clive took over the company, and they basically dissolved... Arista this time around like they they just kind of got rid of the staff and kind of moved it broke it up further into the BMG system as everyone was leaving they asked me to stay and then they created this really weird position for me where I was over all the PR departments within Sony BMG like but on the BMG side so I was over J Records, Jive, RCA. All of those departments had a head of each, you know, like Jive PR department had a head. These people who I know, they're like, well, 
who the hell is Chris to now come over me and tell me what, you know, it was really, it was kind of weird. I mean, I understood what they were trying to do and to, trying to keep me at the company, but it, it was it was hard for me. I can I can imagine that. You know, because there was so much policy that they redid my contract and I was just making a ton of money and like all of her, it was, just, it was a lot. And it sounds like you weren't having the creative input that you no, really I, wanted to because no. I love Doing all budgets, budgets, finance, you know, it was, it wasn't really what I liked to do. So I did that for three years, which was fine. I mean, it helped me. I guess it was supposed to happen that way because I went, I was in Europe with Usher and I was just, before we came back, I, you know, I was thinking about the career and the career path. And I was like, you know, I think this is it for me. I really, I was just like, you know, I think it's time for me to figure out what's next and whatever. And then by the time I came back home, I forewarned them that my contract was coming up for, it was going to expire the following year. So I said, I don't want to go into negotiations. I think I want to figure out what's next. So they said, well, we're still not letting you go. You're going to have to work to the end of your contract. And so I did that for a year. And in the meantime, I was meeting with other people, like other people outside of music. It was like Mac Cosmetics and Ralph Lauren and just other things. And But it was good because these people were like also contacting me. So, you know, I had a job. You really off. had a reputation at that. Well, great. but you know, what was funny was it now it wasn't entertainment. So it was really interesting that people saw me more than like this music publicist. Right, right. Like Mac was overseeing their communications for Mac Cosmetics. I didn't know anything about cosmetics, but they ran it like an entertainment company. Interesting. And so they are they offered me a job after like four months of interviewing. What can you tell us then, Chris, about how you started off on your own? You began to do Mark Consulting, you were doing work with the folks that you'd been uh, working with more directly before, but on a consulting basis. How did that evolve? I don't like to really tell my story like to younger people because it's not the norm. Like I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know what I was doing. It just happened. I'm fortunate that it happened and I'm still standing, but it's not the norm. So it's, right. you know, I don't encourage anyone to just like pick up and go out there and I know now I wouldn't have survived starting my own company if I didn't do PR all those years before because it was my reputation that allowed like once I went out on my own people wanted to work with me and bring me business I wasn't out there hustling really mm -hmm. too much so I can't even imagine coming out of school and saying, oh yeah, I want, I'm going to have my own business right, like right. a lot of these kids do today. Like, I don't even understand that, you know. Yeah, it was, everything you do is an education to get you to the, yeah. Yeah. And the skills. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you just need, you need to build yourself before thinking of, you know, launching something without anyone knowing your skill set. So now you do more of the fashion stuff? Now I do everything. You do everything, okay. It's a good balance. Yeah. Because we we have done projects with Giorgio Armani, Versace. I've been to the Oscars twice and yeah, like I've been to them. I've been to the other award shows a lot, like the Grammys and American Music Awards and the Golden Globe. Yes, you and I talk, you know, about 
racism in our buildings mm-hmm. that exists sometimes, you know, or pre- you know, maybe not out and out racism, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not mm-hmm. prejudice, you know, in the neighborhood, in the country. Did you, did, did you have to, even though music is like more of an open environment, did you face that during your career? Not in that form that we're talking about, right. but there's just like colleagues of mine that, you know, just happen to be white, they can work anything. Rap, R&B, black actors, whatever. You know, as as the black publicist, you find that people want to only attach you to black talent. I mean, my clients have been in everything. I mean, Vogue and GQ and Nightline and SNL and I mean, I've done it all. Right. Black like handlers, like whether they're managers or agents, be like, well, did you really do that? Well, I wouldn't really shop other people's work. For me, it's just like, I want you to look at my work before you meet me, then let's talk. Because at this point, I've been doing PR for over 20 years. For me, I am very clear that I have nothing to, I'm not auditioning anymore for for new business. It's like, you do your homework before you meet me, if you don't know, and then we can discuss. But I'm not at a place in my career anymore where I'm, going to do the song and dance and jump through hurdles because my work is there you can see it anywhere right i'm not running to fashion this and this person's cocktail and no i'm like here you know or you know i'm going with my best or yeah. going to my family yeah. or whatever yeah like i know for me i've only survived this because i stepped out of it a lot I'll trained my clients to know to that those days are over for me. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a doctor. There's no reason to be calling me at one o'clock in the morning. I'm not gonna pick up the phone to hear that you missed a flight or that you know the stylist doesn't have the dress you wanna wear tomorrow or no. (laughs) No. So I don't really, I I don't, I'm that part I'm grateful for because I don't really get those kind of, mm -mm. I don't, I think, people that work with me, they know quickly my limits, like there's, there are boundaries with me. I love that word, boundaries. Mm-hmm. I have a, I know a publicist and she's very well known and um, she used to work with Mariah before I worked with Mariah and she fired Mariah and it was in the papers because she had two small kids at the time and she made it clear to all her clients that after a certain time of the night, which was maybe seven or eight o'clock, she's with her family. Right. And she needs to dedicate time to her kid. Well, Mariah repeatedly would interrupt that time mm-hmm. and she fired her. That's cool. Because mm-hmm. they're always in the limelight. Like they they're in the yeah. and, and too many, you know, it's so many people telling them how amazing they are right. and how they're just so, and they should be doing this and they should be doing, and you, so-and-so should never say no to you and they start to believe it yeah. so it's hard to reel them in once that happens you know and they really do think that you should be on call all the time and that you know everyone should be at their beck and call and it's just not how the real world operates mm-hmm. chris tell us a little bit about how the industry has changed the news business moves so fast everything so we are now is so much more marketing, even though it was an extension of marketing, but it's really more marketing now because you're really, you're brand building. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's it's beyond like you know magazines and newspapers and so forth because you really now are focused on the client's overall brand. It's almost like a bigger role because in a minute, you know, the magazine world is shrinking. Everything is online. People aren't even watching TV like that. They're really looking at their devices. News, as we know, I mean, literally as it hits, you're picking up your phone and the flash comes up. Oh. Trump said, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah. you know, to think faster, we have to think more creatively on like, what will make an interesting story? Like, how is this person um, compelling enough to be on a magazine cover? The few that are left do those big features and covers. And but do you do a lot of work on, you know, like online now in terms of... It was such an interesting shift to see how when you started to have the dot coms and you would talk to clients that, oh, you know, billboard.com or newyorktimes.com wants to do a story on you, they're like, no, I want print. Now, though, they understand because it's like millions of eyes that are seeing it like that. But there was a time where you would say .com and they're like, really? <laughs> like, you can How get it, you know? So now, yeah, and so yeah. that's kind of refreshing because I remember clearly when you would mention online and the client and their managers, their agents would really bark. Like, really, I want to be, I want print. Now they get it because it's fast. It's like millions of eyes. They see the reaction, you know. So it's it's interesting times. Can, can, can your client do our Snapchat? And can they do a Facebook Live? And so it, it, the whole thing now is one package. The music industry and the newspaper industry have undergone similar declines. Yeah. They're yep. kind of parallel. Yeah. And they're declines that Trump doesn't really mention. He talks about coal, mm. but not about music and newspapers, yeah. which have really been contracting. The, the, the newspapers and, and magazines, they're folding left and right. I mean, once you start seeing a monthly go to bi-monthly, then it's like, oh, we're quarterly. After that, you know, death is coming. Right. You know, and it, and it happens over the past, I would say, four years. I mean, so many of these writers and editors that we're friends with are like off doing other things now because the, the magazines have folded. You know, and even though and the ones that are alive, they're they're there, but they're quietly struggling. You know, the Vogue's and the L's, and they may look like they're not going anywhere, but they're having it rough. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends at Condé Nast that own all those, you know, the GQs, the Vogue's, all that, there's no car services. They haven't had raises in ages. I mean, it's a different. It's a different day when we're all going to Paris for the shows. Instead of ten editors now, it's two editors. Wow! Because it's a lot of money. This is sort of a big picture question, but do you think that your own sort of career evolution reflects the fact that music business declined and magazines and newspapers declined? So you brought into other things beyond those media, beyond just music at a time when you kind of had to open it up a little bit because... Well, I, you know why it wasn't scary for me? Because I, I wanted to open it up a little, you know, mm-hmm. more than mm-hmm. more than my thing. So for me, it wasn't scary. It was, And people think it was planned, but I was fortunate that my interest led me to not want to stick in a box of doing one thing, mm-hmm. which, thank God, because I probably would be homeless right now. 
have a reputation, but again, when things are crashing and burning, outlets to express your art are there, you're unemployed. Moving a little bit more into TV, you know, we're doing, we, we do the PR for a show called Power on the Stars Network, which is a huge show. And we're doing some other projects with them, like this show that just debuted recently that's now a, sma a new smash for them called American God. On Showtime? On Stars. Oh, on Stars, okay. And and then we've done stuff like a client of ours, Jill Scott. She's she had a, I a love music. Jill Scott. Yeah, she does you know, she does music and acting, so we do all of you know, she had an HBO series a couple of years ago called The Number One Ladies Detective Agency and that was critically acclaimed and really big and we did you know, the PR around that and you know. <laughs> Oh, I forgot to tell you, we did launch Drake. I was Drake's puppet for like the first wow. two albums. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to throw that in there. Having my own business is that I can also and I tell I I make it clear too that you're not just hiring me, I'm hiring you. It's a, you know, yeah, I'm it's choosing like a it's a two way street. I'm yeah, I'm choosing if I yeah. wanna work with you. Like don't you don't be fooled that because you can cut a check that, you know, hiring me. No, I'm choosing to work with you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I choose not to work with someone. Right, right. And that happens a lot. Yeah. No. Are you, are you still work with Usher? No, but, no. We, but, we're, but we, are, we still have a really good relationship. Russia, like we yeah, spoke yeah. actually over this long weekend. Yeah, yeah. 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 And he's a, is he a nice guy? He seems he is. Very, yeah, he seems very, very talented. His family, yeah. his mom, you know, he was raised well. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the ones that have a foundation, they grow into being solid adults. Mm -hmm. You know. How about Andre 3000 and Big Boy? Great guys. Yeah. Great. I mean, Big Boy is coming out with a solo album in two weeks, and I mean, we're still working together and solid, mm. solid people. You know. But it, again, it's I find that when I look at the talents that I've worked with, that humanistic qualities about them, they were they come from families and they were raised a certain way. You know, they there's a respect for mm -hmm. others. You know, when and the ones that you see that act a certain way, this business made them. They think that they're so entitled that you know the world is just at their feet and they you know. How dare you question them? And you know, it's like what they a lot of them don't realize is that I've been here a long time, and I'm gonna be here after you. <laughs> like I've worked with the hottest of the hot, yeah. and, and now yeah. I'm like, where are they? Thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate your time today on Air Brooklyn. It was our pleasure to host you, and uh, looking forward to more discussion soon. This is Ben Piven, Air Brooklyn, over and out. Ciao.